0: I got talks fast. Maple Grove, welcome to week two of Pray for One. And this morning's conversation is called Connect, Turning the Light On. And I want to read two passages that will lay the foundation for our discussion. One from the Gospel of Matthew, one from the Gospel of John. Matthew chapter five, uh, beginning at verse 13. Jesus said, you are, the, you are the salt of the earth. Think about what that means. I mean, salt was critical to the ancient world. It prevented meat from decaying before the days of refrigeration. And, and even salt in our day has some great meaning, right? I mean, you know, we like it on our French fries, right, and on our popcorn. And, but, but salt does no good if it remains where? In a shaker, right? It, it could be sitting right next to that pile of fries, but it, it, it ain't jazzing them up a bit. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor, can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled on the foot. is worthless. You are the light of the world. A, a city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And then Jesus said in John 15, as he was walking with his guys on the, on the way to the on the way to his arrest, remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I'm the vine. You are the branches. Turn to the persons, you your right and left, and tell them you are a branch. And now turn to them again and say, "I'm not the vine." And you're not the vine either, right? (laughs) I'm not the vine, the bulls. Okay. I'm the vine, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. But for me, you can do nothing. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we love you, and and if we take the time to think about it, there's no way we could be in your presence without standing amazed. That, that you would love sinners condemned unclean, that, that your love, that no mountain, you know, is too high, no valleys too wide, no oceans too deep for your love, that your love just keeps chasing after us, and that we can, we can come as we are into your presence, and you will give us rest, and you will teach us how to live, and that you desire to be with us, and And God, we're amazed by you, and I ask that, God, that you would just be here in all your fullness today, God, that you enable us to have ears to hear and eyes to see what you have for us, because I I know, God, that that you're excited about the conversation that we're having, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, now last week, we not only um, kicked off a new series, Pray for One, but we also began making a, a serious and defining cultural shift for his church that meets at 3210 Prophet Road. Understand, God the Father, God the Son, and, and God the Holy Spirit are infusing a new, a, a renewed DNA into our church, a, a DNA that is going to align our passion, our concerns, our desires, our focus, and our heartbeats with God's. And, and listen, the triune God's deepest desire and greatest passion, the proof of which hung on a cross for six hours one Friday, is is to bring his weary, tired, broken, hurting, weak, captive, lost children back home. It's his deepest desire. It's his most powerful passion. Get it? Good. And and, and that's why the, the main thing, the mission, the, the one job. The only reason that every single Christian is still on this planet after God rescues them through Christ is for you and I, is for us to go and make disciples of all nations, is for us to be His witnesses in our Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's for us to be salt, a preserving agent to this decaying world. It's for us to be light in this world of darkness. It's for us to be a a vessel, an instrument, a vehicle through which lost people get back home. You see, it is God's desire for every person in this room, without exception, young or old, male or female, tall or short, to have beautiful feet. Is there a picture of beautiful feet up there? Ha! Okay, not those feet. Not those feet. These feet. They are good looking, though. Um... How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace in a world of conflict, who bring good tidings to those who only feel like they're getting bad tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, who say to God's people, Your God reigns. I understand because of Christ, good news. Peace, good tidings, and salvation reigns, rules, and is sovereign. amen, amen. now now, the question that uh, we answered last week as we began to pray for one was this you know how, how do we how, how do we ensure that, that that we have that we have beautiful feet and and remember if you're here last week, you know we kind of gave ourselves a, a a spiritual pedicure and, and we said that 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 one of the things we have to do in order to have beautiful feet is that we have to fight off the obstacles. And, and here, here's, here's some of the obstacles that we have to fight off. Um, um, one obstacle is we get distracted by other lesser passions. Has that ever happened to you? Uh, we de- redefine what it means to be on mission or to be a disciple. Like, like, like we think we're going to be a disciple without actually being a disciple or making disciples. Uh, that, that, that just going to church and preaching a sermon and if I never share my faith, like, God is okay with that because he's really not. We ignore or become numb to a horrible and terrifying reality. You know, that, that the people in our families, in our neighborhoods, standing on the sidelines, sitting in the bleachers as I watch my son play ball, that do not know Jesus face a crisis eternity in a place called hell that is absolutely horrific. Uh, number four, uh, we think that most people in, in our Jerusalem already know. I mean, we're, we're Americans and we live in America, Right. Uh, but 195, people, 105, 195 million people in America do not go to church. 60% do not have a worldview. They don't know. Uh, we, we cannot assume that anymore. Another thing is that, that we, uh, we, we feel unworthy, right? Because we're messed up. Guess what? You're always going to be messed up, right? You're just getting a little bit less messy. Uh, um, but, we, but we think we're unworthy to share the gospel or we overcomplicate it. Um, but in comes in the woman, married five times, living with the guy, meets Jesus. And goes right out of the way and she shares the word. She hadn't moved out yet. Didn't know a whole lot. Didn't take a 12-year course in how to share her faith. She just said, you know, I met this guy Jesus. And like he knows everything about me and he kind of still likes me. And my life was changed. And finally, we, we have an enemy who does not want us to seek and save the lost. The enemy's number one tactic is to get the church to focus on anything other than the mission of Jesus. Do you agree with that? you think that's true? Yeah. Absolutely, right? That, that's it. You know, another thing we have to do is we have to focus on the main thing, our one job. I uh, understand, if, if your one job, and I love these things, you know, if your one job is to, is to paint the word school on the road, you should at least spell it right, right? Okay? You know, if your one job was to put the, the logo at midfield, maybe you should put the logo at midfield, right? If your one job was so that people using the toilet could actually reach the toilet paper, Right? Unless they got long arms, you that's just not going to work out so well, right? If you want, I love this one. Now hiring, smiling feces, all right? You know, I, I, I know that might be entertaining, but not very sanitary, right? If you want new people, don't look for feces, just say okay? Those things are hilarious. They're, you ought to check some of them out. They're crazy. Um, and again, our one job is to go and make disciples, is to be as witnesses, is to seek and save the lost is to be salt, is to be light. Next, we need to fan the flame of the reward. You see, there's this internal soul-resting, renewing reward that flows from praying for one and seeking God's purpose foremost in our lives. And the reward is is experiencing the life Paul experiencing experienced. The reward is ha, ha, Being joyful in the Lord always. The reward is freedom from anxiety and worry. The reward is having a peace that transcends all understanding. The reward is having, being content whatever the circumstances. The reward is having a focus and purposeful life. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In our devotions this morning in um, uh, our 41-day devotional, um, I've read these words here. The primary reason so many churchgoers are miserable, ever met a miserable churchgoer, Uh, ever been a miserable churchgoer, turn to the person right and left, no, we won't do that, Uh, is because they are not actively investing in the kingdom of heaven. They sit around waiting for Jesus to come while the world he so desperately loves remains lost and separated from him. And and, and, and this is like a a new truth that God is really pressing hard on me, you know, because Sometimes I'm a miserable person. Sometimes I'm a miserable churchgoer, even I'm the, I'm the preacher, you know? And, and, and I'm just convinced that I will never have that fullness of life if I'm not doing the job I'm supposed to be, if I'm not sold out to the mission of Christ. And once I do that, I'm going to have all the fullness of life. But that's what's missing. And if you've been miserable in your walk, I would just challenge you. And you can, I'm, as I challenge myself, hey, why don't I get about the business personally? And see what happens amen and frequently pray a, a simple prayer lord please give me one person to share your love with today H- have you prayed that prayer frequently this week anybody here's a few quotes from the book that we're reading uh, this one's in your notes pray for one will change your foundational purpose for living wow that's pretty powerful Life will suddenly spring to life through the sincerity of this simple prayer. When you want what Jesus wants, life finally makes sense, and the joy of spiritual reproduction consumes you. Consumes you. As our heart changes, we find that we are not too busy to speak to a neighbor or stay late with a coworker. We find that our heads are up and that we make eye contact with people because we never know who the one will be. No day is wasted because we arise in the morning With a true sense of mission and purpose, the gospel becomes each day's destination. Praying for one puts us into position to be fully used by God. This stuff is addictive. It's chocolate, right? You get that first one, and you can't stop. You have to get another, and another, and another. Kingdom growth becomes exponential. Praying for one brings the reality of Christ's mission to your doorstep. When God gives you a name, has he given you a name? You, you can't shake it. You become consumed with sharing God's love, and you plead with the Father for the lost to be found. You cannot rationalize your responsibility away. You will, not, you will stop making excuses. Your life will have purpose. Once you name it, you are responsible for it, right? That's the danger, right? Or not the danger, that's the power in actually naming it. And, and if you want, over you know, the next six weeks, you know, for God to be able to do the most in and through you, and I, I want to suggest that um, you pray that prayer daily and often, okay? Um, y- you can sign up on your connection card to get a text reminder, you know? Uh, I really appreciate those because they come at times, sometimes they have times when I was feeling like a miserable churchgoer, you know? it's <laughs> like, oh, dang, oh, I'll pray for one. I, I, I'm kind of I'm freaked out and upset about all the stupid stuff, you know? And, and you just get that text every day. It may come around 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, hey, please remember to pray for one. It totally changes my outlook at that very moment. Uh, to attend or listen to every message, uh, read the book Pray for One. We have some at the kiosk, and there's some out there. The book has 12 chapters, so basically it's a pace of two chapters per week. Um, do your 41-day devotional. Uh, we have copies here. You can download it on uh, prayforone.com or on our website. And, and the way the devotions kind of range is like if you look at the the first chapter in the book itself is called Give Me One, right? So you would read the chapter Give Me One, right? And then you do those devotions. You know, the next chapter is like, you, once you name it, you're responsible for it. Well, you read that chapter in the book, and then you do devotions after. That's a suggested way to do it. But I tell you, th- these devotions are, are very thought-provoking, very deep. And man, I'll tell you what, I- I- I'm loving, I'm loving them. Now, some people have already read the whole book already, couldn't put it down. You know, one of the students picked up a book and said, man, this, this, is, this is gold. This book is gold. Okay, you know, p- put a reminder bracelet on, right? So when you look down at your hand, hey, I've got to remember to pray for one. If, you have, if you're not in the life group, hey, join one just for at least these six weeks, and one of our life group coaches will be over at that kiosk after service to sign you up for one. Um, and here, here, name, Put the name of your one on your connection card. There's a spot for it. Put their name down, right? Put their name, write it down, and you know what? Th- those who do these things will find their heartbeats aligning more and more with God. I mean, people. I- I'm hearing people talk about one, and it's just really incredible. Monday, I heard in a hallway, I wasn't intentionally eavesdropping. You know, someone talking about, "Hey, you know what? I think I found my one, and I think they're coming to church." I, I, was in a, I was in a meeting with some guys uh, yesterday around 12 o'clock, and you had a text from somebody, hey, I just talked to and invited my one. I, I know of a student that already has their one coming to church in, in a few days. You know, everybody's thinking about, who is that one person that God has put into my life right now that I can share his love with? And, and what we're going to do beginning this week is we're going to talk about four action steps that accompany the action step to pray for one. And the first action step is connect. Uh, Connect is essential to bring, pray for one to life. And first of all, you know, I I must connect with God personally. Come on, you, you, you ever think how crazy that is? That a finite, frail, fragile, messed up person like you and I can actually connect with the creator of everything we see. That is absolutely insane. Now, I don't have a lot of time to talk about this connection, but I need to talk about it some because here's the deal. You and I will never connect our one to the love of God if we are not connected to the love of God. Are you tracking with me? And listen, in many ways, now, the love of God is like, is like living water that, that, that flows into us and that flows out, out from us. I mean, that's what Jesus told that, that woman, right? His one that he had to go to Samaria to see, right? The one he met by the well, he said, hey, if you knew who I really was, you would ask me for living water and you would never thirst again. Uh, this living water is what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 7. We read these words, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. Quick question, are, are you Are you thirsty? This morning, I, I mean, have the things that you thought would quench your thirst? Accomplishments, relationships, whatever, still left you dry? Well, Jesus says, come to me, right? Come to me. At Maple Grove, we're about you coming to come into Jesus. Come to me and drink. Connect with me personally, drink. Get to know me, Drink. Read my word so you can hear my voice. Drink. Pray to me and talk with me. Drink. Connect to me personally. Drink. You know, the woman in John 4, last week we talked about how she met Jesus, and you know what, she she was still, could have been seen unworthy, but she knew she wasn't, and she Immediately told everybody, "Hey, I, I met this guy Jesus. Knows everything about me. Could this be the Messiah?" They run out, meet Jesus, and it says, "Many believe because of her testimony." Interesting thing is, you read a few few verses down, and uh, people in the town were like, "Hey, Jesus, you know, we just we just finished, you know, um, our basement remodel. You know, we got a room for you. Got your own bathroom, kitchenette. You know, would you mind like hanging out a few days?" And guess what? He did, hang out a few days, and then John four. Verse 42 says this, then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, because we have heard him ourselves. We took a drink for ourselves, and now we know that he really is the son of God. John continues, I mean, Jesus continues John, for the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him, but the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered his glory. And the context of John 7 is during the Feast of Weeks. And on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and shouted. And every day during the Feast of Weeks, the priest would go down to the pool of Siloam and he would get water, go to the temple, and pour it out. And then the seventh day, the priest would read Ezekiel chapter 47, where God gave Ezekiel a vision of this river flowing from the temple of God and it, it, as it flowed, first the water was up to his ankles, and then it was up to his knees, and, and then the water was up to his nest, his, his, his waist, and, and then it was over his head where he could swim. And and this water flowing from the temple flowed into the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea suddenly sprung to life, and there were fish everywhere. And along the riverbanks of this river flowing from the temple were, were, were trees, fruit trees that, that bore fruit in season all the times, and the leaves were for the healing of the nations. And what this is it, it's a picture of jesus it's a picture of the new testament of christians having the holy spirit in them flowing out of them and everywhere that this river touches our lives bring people life rivers of living water will flow from his heart but see it, it, it cannot flow from us if it has not flown into us however if it, if it has flowed in it can and should flow out On day four in our Devo, we read these words, God's love is meant to flow into the heart and out of the heart. It is a raging river of life that cuts across the landscape and refreshes everyone. When God's love is not expressed, the dam is created and the water begins to stagnate. You ever seen stagnant water? You know, what's your reaction? Like, I can't wait to drink some of that stuff? (laughs) You're like, I don't want to get near it. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to smell it, and no way in the world would I drink it, even if you triple dog dare me, right? You're not going near it. People who do not actively share God's love end up with shallow pools of death inside. You see, if we are followers of Jesus, if I'm a follower of Christ, then the water, living waters are not flowing out of me, then I've created some kind of dam in my life. And the water inside is going to become stagnant and nasty and undrinkable because living water flows. And so what I have to do, I have to find that dam, I have to identify that dam, and i got to destroy that dam. Living water flows if you're connected to Jesus. Then you're attached to an everlasting supply of love. It's kind of like if you're trying to pour love into your neighbor, and you got this, right? And there's not much you can do. Yeah, but, but but imagine if you had, you know, you had a hose connected to an ocean, right? You know, you see, when you're connected to God, you have an unending, everlasting supply of love to pour in to the lives of other people. I must connect with God personally. Next, I must connect with my one practically. Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit. If it is severed from the vine, and you cannot produce fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. I like to kind of give like a, a modern day parable of that. You know, it's kind of like saying, you know, Jesus is saying, you know, I, 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 am, I am the outlet, you know, I'm the outlet, and you are what? You're the extension cord. Okay, and, and God wants us to plug into him, and this wasn't supposed to happen yet. That did not happen. That did not happen. Okay, so much for my analogy, but from then that didn't happen. Note to self, reset your props, okay? And so, so God wants lost people to connect to him, but they just can't reach him, right? And that's where he needs us, right? he needs us and then when when we connect to those lost people what happens the light turns on now now what what, what this is this here is a i'm going to plug and plug in anybody know what this is yeah this is pray for one <laughs> this is that's what this is and, and, and this is pray for one where we are intentionally determining where the power is going to go, right? And where we're going to transfer that power. You know, and so, yeah, you know, with this we can, let's see what we can do with this. So we have a lot more opportunities. Plug a lot more people in. Okay. It's, gonna, it's, it's, it's good. Okay. Just want the life group. It's all right. I just preached a sermon about pray for one. It's got to work, right? Okay. So what's happening there? Okay. Any engineers out there?
1: Oh!
0: Oh! Okay. All right. All right. The switch is actually praying the prayer on a freaking basis, right? I mean... I can sit up here and preach a sermon. You can go to life group. You can put it on a wristband. You can read devotions. You can read the book. But it's when we pray the prayer is when we make the connection. Get it? Good. Oh, my goodness. That was messed up, wasn't it? All right. <laughs> Thank you for your mercy. Okay. I understand when Jesus wore flesh and walked this planet, He was all about connecting with people, with the lost. And that did not sit well with the religious people of his day. Now, the tax collectors of sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, they, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus, is this true? He goes, yeah, it's true. <laughs> I, I mean, how else could I fulfill my mission if I did not connect with them? And here's the deal. Pray for one moves forward and unleashes God's immeasurably more power as we connect with our one in practical, relational ways. It moves forward and unleashes God's power as we connect with our one in practical, relational ways. You know, Jesus said we're to be his witnesses. So how do we start? Uh, so that we can witness to, to our one about what Jesus has done in our life. Well, I can sum it up in, in one word. And I think you're going to like it. Eat. Eat. Yes, your mission, brothers and sisters, begins with eating. Is that good news or what, right? Now, understand, one great way to connect with people to begin with or to deepen a relationship is to share a meal with one another, right? And that doesn't happen that much anymore, right? Not even in our own homes, right? But in this culture, fewer and fewer people get together for meals. You know, inviting a neighbor over for a meal, inviting a coworker over for a meal. I guess it's because we're so busy connecting in all those other ways, right? <laughs> all those superficial ways. That problem connecting in an actual real way. Bottom line, pray for one is about people. People matter to God. Therefore, people must matter to us. And if they matter to us, we must find a way to connect with them. And eating is one way to connect with those who are not committed to God or church community. Again, when Jesus was here, he spent a lot of time connecting. He wasn't connecting in church groups. He wasn't just connecting to the disciples. He was connecting with the sinners and the tax collectors. This man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. And in our culture, eating with someone, very intimate and personal, meant that you liked that person, you valued that person, and you wanted a relationship with that person. And in our time remaining, I want to talk about a one that Jesus connected with, and his name is Matthew. Now, the backstory is that Matthew's a tax collector, which basically means that he was a Jewish person who decided to sell out to the Roman government and rip off his own people. You see, in those days, the way they collected taxes was Rome said, I I need you to collect this much. Now, you can collect as much as you want. Give me what I ask you to give to me, and you can keep the rest for yourself. I mean, this is mafiosa written all over it, right? It was completely illegitimate. These guys were stealing for their own people. Needlessly, they were to say they're really, really hated by the Jewish people. And the way they collected taxes was not to go door to door. They they, they would set up a a booth or a tent at a gate or a bridge and say, you cannot pass until you pay your taxes. I mean, picture um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail in your mind if you want. Answer me these three questions, okay? Just put that in your head. (laughs) As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And Jesus spoke two words to him. Follow me. I don't think he was expecting those words. Maybe repent, sinner. Maybe shame, shame. But he says, "Follow me." Matthew got up and followed him. Matthew, the traitor. And, and, and now, what, what, what do you think the other his disciples are thinking? They're like, "Well, wait, wait a second. If Matthew is follow, if Jesus, Matthew is following Jesus, then that means..." we got to be around Matthew, <laughs> and we don't want to be around that guy. Understand, nobody was standing in line to take a selfie with Matthew, right? Hey, here I am. Look at me. I'm with Matthew. No, no, no. That's, no one wanted to do that except Jesus. Remember who these guys are. Most of them are fishermen. That's pretty low on the scale, but tax collectors are even lower. I mean, if you, if you saw a gracism list of who deserves to be in heaven, and remember our gracism definition from a while back, I deserve to have grace, but certain people do not, who do not meet my standards because of who they are, what they have done, do not. Well, on a gracism list, right, who deserves to be in heaven, top of the list is Pharisees. Then you, have the, then you have the scribes and teachers of the law. Then you have the, you know, the doctors and the nurses. Then you have the fishermen. And below that, you have prostitutes, tax collectors, and New York Yankee fans, Right? Okay, just venting my sports hatred. Um, and what I'll say is, everybody has someone they look down on, even fishermen, right? I mean, this, they know this is not gonna help our status. And now, when Dr. Luke was called, they liked that, right? It's like, hey, hey we got a doctor in our group now. Yeah, yeah our, our street cred just went up, right? But a tax collector? Man, if we gotta let you in the bus, you're at least gonna sit in the back of the bus. But we better pay attention. Because sometimes the last people we might imagine becoming Christians are the first person Jesus might pick out for us. Now it's no surprise that when Matthew was given the opportunity to follow Jesus, that he got up and followed him. Instantly goes from being scum of the earth to being part of a group led by the most famous rabbi at the time. And notice there were no ultimatums, no requirements, no rules of engagement. Now if we'd been there, we might expect Jesus. Okay, Matthew, if you if you want to be my follower, here's the deal. We don't drink, we don't smoke, we don't chew, or go out with women who do, right? Uh, But there's none of that. Just a simple call to follow. By the way, it's the same invitation that's been extended to all of us, and that is extended to us each and every day. It's an invitation not to religion, but to relationship. Follow me, walk with me, learn from me, be with me, become like me. Now, now some people were watching this, and they didn't like what was going on. I mean, how can he ask somebody, this screwed up to be in his group? Jesus, doesn't there need to be some kind of outward evidence of holiness and righteousness before someone can be called your disciple? Maple Grove, the answer is no. Why? Because it's not possible. Uh, Understand, on our own, no one is righteous. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Now, please don't misunderstand me. We are called to be holy and righteous, and Matthew became holy and righteous, so I'm certainly not encouraged you to go ahead and be a sinner or a tax collector. That'd be foolish. After all, it's the wide road that leads to destruction. I want you also the narrow road that leads to life, but what I am saying is there are no entrance requirements. You don't have to score a 30 or above on your ACT to get in. In fact, you will never have your ACT together enough to follow Jesus. you only be holy and righteous after you start following Jesus and have the Holy Spirit, that raging river dwelling inside of you and not a moment sooner. Get it? Good. So Jesus calls Matthew. Matthew says, yes. And Matthew says, hey, Jesus, are you hungry? Because I got a lot of food in my house. I'm rich. I steal from people. <laughs> and, and Jesus says, sure. Sounds great. That's why I'm here. And, and so Matthew does a quick Facebook invite You know, he he tweets all his friends, and I just wonder who's going to show up to this party. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So all of a sudden, there's this sinner party going on at Matthew's house, and Jesus is right there in the middle of it. I mean, can you imagine the conversations going on? Can you imagine the language being used? I mean, Matthew's house was filled with people that were just like he was the day before, Now, these people probably heard about Jesus and, you know, didn't know much about him, maybe a little bit, but I think they're already starting to see some changes in Matthew. And I kind of picture Matthew running back and forth from the kitchen, making sure that the pizza rolls are are hot when they come out of the oven. And he's probably restocking the beer cooler because no one told him he wasn't supposed to have beer at this party. And the music is loud and pounding because you know he's rich. He's got a killer sound system. And it's non-Christian music playing because he's never heard a Hillsong or Newsboys or Casting Crowns. He doesn't even know there's Christian radio stations. And and I'm not trying to make light of this. I I just want us to get a true picture of where Jesus really was. He was at a party full of sinners. I mean, Matthew's been saved and fallen Jesus for a few hours. He's not had a chance to change anything in his life or his habits. He doesn't even know the code yet. Matthew's just being Matthew. And Jesus loves them that way. And if we're going to be in our mission field, we have to fall in love with guys like Matthew, just like Jesus did. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, uh-oh, oh oh my goodness, they asked the disciples, does your teacher, parenthesis, you know, we have some spots open in our studenthood, <laughs> you know, if you like to switch teachers. Does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And I said, what Jesus is doing, it it's so obviously offensive and morally incorrect that the Pharisees don't even give a reason why it is. I mean, everybody knows this. Jesus, you're not supposed to do that. Jesus, you're doing this backwards. They haven't made any changes in their life. How can you ask him to be his follower? And Jesus says in Matthew 12, it's so good, on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but what? But the sick. Jesus said, why do you think I'm here? There's there's a bunch of sick people, and I'm a doctor, and I'm a doctor. You, You see, the church, you know, and this needs not to be just a cliche, that sounds good to say, but the church needs to be a hospital for sinners, right? And not a museum for saints to show off their superficial spirituality. Amen? Amen. It's a hospital for sinners. And then Jesus throws this dig at them. I mean, he's talking to guys. These guys got PhDs. They got a lot of tenure. They're professors with tenure, right? (laughs) Yeah, he says, but go and learn what this means. Yeah, I know you've been studying the Old Testament your whole life. Hey, but go and learn what this means. And he quotes from Hosea and from Micah, and he says this: um, "I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Mercy. I, I, I desire people to treat Matthew not like his sins deserve, to treat a woman who's living with the man after five broken marriages like she does not deserve. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, Jesus, is like, are you serious?" Are you guys kidding me? You should know this stuff. You you should know the business that we're in. But you obviously don't. It's like you said, listen, my goal is not to create little boxes of churches where people come and hang out and get away from the, the world. My goal is to take grace to the people who need it. And by the way, if you don't think you need any grace, if you think you're good enough, then knock yourself out. But I'm here for the people who acknowledge that they need the medicine. And the medicine that I have is called grace. And it's greater than our mistakes. And it's greater than our hurts. And it's greater than our weaknesses. And it's greater than our circumstances. And you know that they did not like it at all. Mike Iaconelli said, until Jesus came along, we, all, we were all outside the fence of God's grace. Jesus did more than move the fence. He did what? Tore down. And no wonder, you know, because they like the fence of like who's in and who's out, right? No wonder Jesus drove them crazy. And no wonder Jesus made them increase the milligram of their blood pressure medicine. Because fence makers do not like to have their fences tore down. When God wore flesh, he spent a lot of time, most of the time, with people who were far away from God people who needed a doctor. He told us a parable in Luke 14. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come on, it's ready. But they all began to make excuses. So the servant came back and reported to the master. The owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what your order has been done, but... There's still room. Then the master told the servant, Get out on the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Listen, the people who are gonna miss out are the people who think they're healthy. Because uh, they got excuses that they don't think they need to go. And all the poor and the powerless and the crippled and the tired and the lame are gonna get in. And what is our job? Our job is to compel them to come in, to tell them, Guess what? I, I got a seat at the table. And guess what? You get a seat at the table. Again, by the way Jesus lived his life, his passion for connecting with lost people, he's saying to us, my mission is not to create a holy huddle of nice people who do nothing bad or do nothing at all. He says, my mission, my goal, is to create an army of people who will connect with lost people who are sick because they need my grace. And yes, it will get messy. And if we, as we get serious about prayer for one, it will get messy. Sinners are messy. It's messy. It's, this, is, this is earth. This is not heaven. Earth is messy. But our job is to get messy sinners and get them ready for heaven. And Jesus says, "Hey, if, if you're good with that, pull up a chair and join me." You know, Greg shares a story. Uh, um, the U version app his church developed that, and he, uh, he ran into one day a, a guy known in his city to be very wealthy, but making wealth through very sinful means, and, and the guy. Said, hey, I've never been to your church, but there's anybody I'd want to sit and talk to about God, it'd be you. So could we meet and talk? And, and, and so the guy said, Craig you know, Greg said, Greg said, sure, we can talk. And so they go to a restaurant. The guy's already there at the bar midday. You know, he's already drank a whole bunch. He's smoking. And, and, and Greg sits down beside him. And he, he says this I walked up, sat down at the bar. As I did, I felt in the restaurant looking at me with these very churchy like looks. I could feel the heat, the judgment, the condemnation. There's people who are whispering, Pastor Craig, look, look who he's eating with. Is that, is that Pastor Craig's beer? That week I got two phone calls to the church office, people complaining because I was at a bar with a well-known sinner. And then he writes, they got it? There goes Pastor Craig again, acting like Jesus. He, he tells another story about a couple attending his church that obviously look like they've never gone to church a lot. And they said, I don't, we don't believe in uh, um, what you're saying, but we believe in what you're doing and, and we would like to help. He says, well, would you like, you mean you like to serve? Yeah, we'd like to serve. He goes, well, what do you like to do? He goes, I don't know. He goes, well, what are you good at? What do you do for a living? The guy goes, well, I'm, I'm in sales. Come to find out he's a, a drug dealer. And and, and and then he asked the lady, you know, um, well, what do you do? And she kind of looked down and didn't want to say, kind of ashamed, And then she looked up and she told him, well, I, I use my body to entertain, and so obviously you wouldn't like when people like us at your church. He says, no, we love you, you know, we want you at your church, and, and the lady was first excited, then got a little afraid, and she said, what if somebody in here recognizes me? And she says, well, then I guess they have no room to judge you, do they? And the guy slapped his leg and said, dude, that's why I love this church. You know, years later, both came to Christ, got married, left the state, and now are involved in a ministry that are pulling other people out from that very painful and destructive lifestyle. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I don't know about you, um, but, but, but I, I don't have enough sick people in my life. I mean, how many hands would it take for you to... The name, the, you know, the list, the number of non-Christian friends you have. Not, not, not just people you wave at in a neighborhood, or you say, hey, how you doing? You know, but, but, but how, many, how many friends? I, I mean, they have your cell phone number, not just your Facebook friend request approval. You know, for far too long, we've been acting like our mission is to invite, bring people into our four walls of our church. And we're comfortable with that, right? Because now they're on our turf, right? And they have to act a certain way. Uh, but Jesus never did tell us. He didn't say invite, go, he didn't say invite, he didn't say bring, he said what? He said go. He said seek. Now, eventually after you have gone and seeked and began to build a relationship, there probably will be an invite. It, it's like we're waiting for seekers, you know, you know, to come drop in our church, and I hope they do, but we're the ones who are supposed to be seeking. We need to get out and get connected. Again, pray for one moves forward and unleashes God's power as we commit, connect with our one in practical relational ways. I mean, if someone called you up today and said, hey, I know you don't know me, but if I could have your social security number of yours and your spouse, you know, I got a great deal to refinance your house. Are you gonna do it? Or you meet someone at Starbucks and say, you know what? I know the person that you're supposed to spend the rest of your life with. I know I never met you. And I'd like to set up a blind date for you this Friday. That's the day they get out on parole. Um, would, you, would you go? No. I mean, when it, when, it, when it comes to what matters to us, our finances, our relational lives, our futures, we don't usually put ourselves in the hands of total strangers. We listen to people that we trust, friends influence friends. And if that's true in general, I think it is, it's definitely true when it comes to spiritual matters. You know, if we're going to reach, people, if people are going to be reached for Christ, for the most part, they're not going to be reached by strangers. They're not going to be reached by televangelists. They won't be reached by the radio. They're not going to be reached because they saw a bumper sticker on the back of a car. Not that they're bad. But primarily, they're going to be reached through relationships. Almost every survey, every taken it always says that 80% of people his primary influence in coming to Christ and the church was through what? A relationship. A relationship. I understand, there are people all around you whose lives you can help shape and whose eternities you can help redirect. It, it, it may be the person at the gym. You don't know their name, but they work out the same time that you do. Maybe it's a neighbor a few doors down, and you know, all, all you've done is wave at them. And it's never been more than that. Uh, maybe it's the server you always seem to get at the restaurant. Every time you go, they're the one that's waiting you. Maybe it's the coworker at, at your office, or it's the student sitting next to you in class or on the bus. Maybe it's a client or patient who comes into your office several times a year, or the cashier at the at Food line or, or, or 7-Eleven, or Dunkin' Donuts, or wherever you get your morning java, right? Have you ever considered, have I, have we ever considered that God has placed us there in their proximity so that we could change their forevers? Maple Grove, do you think that's even possible? I do. And, and here's a few ideas to help us become more intentional in developing relationships as we pray for one. Practice what I call strategic consumerism, Right? Um, we, we all eat, we all go to the grocery store, get haircuts, you know, try going to the same place at the same time, and, and even if the line's really long at food line, you know, but you've been talking to Phyllis a lot, I, I like Phyllis over at the food line here, you know, get in Phyllis's line, right? The line's long, but you know what, you can talk to them, get to know them, build those relationships. Eat a meal with someone, grab lunch or coffee with someone. Invite someone over to watch the game. Uh, if you, see if the mom or dad, you know, you know and, and I am talking same sex, the same, okay, you know, see if the mom or dad at the soccer game or the baseball game wants to grab lunch sometime. You know, uh, uh, this Tuesday after Gentile's baseball game, uh, me and Gentile and my one and his son are going to go to uh, Martin's Grill after the game for lunch, right? You know, um, just to begin that relationship. Yeah, we've been talking for a long time as we watch our kids play ball. I got to, we got to go deeper, i help a neighbor with the project. Let them help you. I let my one help me by bringing my son home from practice because I had life group. Hey, could you bring Janelle home? Yeah, he brought him to my house. You know, plan some kind of event for families in your neighborhood, especially if you got a bunch of you know, Maple Grovers in your neighborhood. Hey, let's, let's do a block party or something. Get creative. i heard about one guy who started in his neighborhood a kickball uh, league. and Before long, it had like 60 families in his kickball league. You know, and within a year or two's time, every one of them that did not know Christ came to Christ and began attending church. And, and the deal is that, you know, we don't have to get real complicated about it, right? Sometimes at the ends of the earth, we may need to buy, you know, get some shots and buy a mosquito net, right? But, but, but for, for our Jerusalem, it just may be, hey, how can I include people far from Christ into my everyday activities? Now, Bill Hybels makes this quote right here, um, and it, it should excite us. He says, based on my experience, most people wind up in the kingdom of God, can trace their salvation back to a single, life-changing conversation with a Christ follower. How awesome is that, right? You know, and again, praying for one, right? You know, it moves forward, and, and, and it releases and God's power as we connect with their one in, in practical, relational-type ways. Amen. Amen. And what we're going to do, we're going to, um, we're going to sing the song, um, Even So Come. It's got that famous line that I love, you know, you know we'll be a church ready for you. you know? Why? Because we're doing what you asked us to do. Not, we're ready for you, Jesus. We had 10 new people sign up for life groups. We're ready for you, Jesus. You know, we just built a new building. No, we're ready for you, Jesus, because we care about what you care about. We care about broken and lost people. You know, and after the song, um, uh, um, you guys will have an opportunity to get up. The communion's going to be at various stations. You can can see over there, you can grab that. Um, You can also, if you haven't picked up a copy of your book, Pray for One, we have those at the kiosk over there. If you haven't written on this wall saying that I make a commitment to pray for one, you can do that. Maybe you just kind of walk by the wall and you pick out a few names and say, you know what, this week I'm going to pray for... Tina and Samantha and Joyce, you know, that this week that they'll remember to pray for one and that God will help them make that connection. So, would you stand and pray with me? You know, if you're here today, you know, and, and you're, you're not sure about your own personal connection with God and you'd like to talk to me about that, you know, I, I'll be up front after service and yeah, I'm available 24 7 to talk to anybody anytime about their walk with God and getting right with Him. Uh, and again, immediately after. Our song, uh, just head off to communion and the various other stations. And would you just join me with prayer? God, we love you. And God, thank you for showing us what's missing in our lives as individuals and as a church. That we're not consumed with what consumes you. And God, I thank you for the great, I, I thank you for the great uh, movement happening in the lives of people as we have only been praying for one for a week. And God, I pray for everyone in this room, Lord, that we'll pray that prayer and that you'll open our eyes and we'll share this great love. And, and God, this week that we'll make sure that we connect to that love that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.